Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. <laughs> he trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear at their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, and a pack of villains encircles me, and they, they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. 
He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Thank you, Pat. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we, we thank you for that time of the week when we have the privilege of gathering together before you around your word. We long that you would speak to us. Speak to us of your son. Speak to us of, of our need of him. Open our eyes afresh that we might see him in his, his extraordinary beauty and yet in the midst of suffering. Might we see the, the depths of our sin that we see afresh the glory of the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. They say that the, the closer the person, the deeper the pain of the grief when we lose them. So maybe someone in our family, a distant relative dies and we hear about them and, and we're a bit sad. But the, the relational ties weren't so close, the, the grief is not so deep. And then imagine with me, if you can, the person closest to you were to die. Maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a child. And, and just imagine, if you can, that the unbearable sense of the agony and the pain, the loss and the grief that you were to feel. And then multiply that again and again. And again, and again. And to be honest, we wouldn't be getting near to what Jesus felt on the cross as he died. Our, our word for today, our little phrase, is perhaps the ultimate visceral, gut-wrenching cry of dereliction and abandonment from the cross. Maybe the most famous of the seven words, maybe the, the darkest, the most desolate Yet I want to contend to you this morning that as Jesus cried out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't simply those words that he meant. 
as Pat read for us, Jesus takes the words of, of King David from Psalm 22 onto his own lips. And you see, the bit that Jesus says at the very beginning, that was just the start of the story. They were just the first words in the song. Behind them came other words and the rest of the story. And, and you know, it's vital that we get to grips with Psalm 22 if we want to understand the cross. Why is that? Because it's there that the New Testament interprets for us what was going on at the cross. It, it's from this psalm, Psalm 22, as we'll see, that we find the most allusions, cross-references, parallels, pictures, picked up as the, the journey to the cross is opened up for us. Here is something of our opportunity to glimpse something of the reality of what Jesus felt experienced, anticipated for you and for me. These are the words that Jesus chooses to say. This is how Jesus interprets his own death even. And so what I want us to do this morning is to look at Psalm 22. But I want to try and do that with um, three different lenses in place, wearing three different pairs of glasses, if you like. The first thing we'll do is we'll work our way through Psalm 22 again um, through the eyes of King David, the author, the initial author, trying to sweep over the psalm to get familiar with its, its flow, its shape, how it works, what's in there, some of what it means. And then, if you like, we'll take those, those specks off and put another pair of glasses on and look at it through the King Jesus lens. We'll think about how the New Testament writers used Psalm 22, helping us to interpret the cross, to understand the cross, and then to try and consider some of why they did that. But then finally, we'll well, try and have a think of what it means for you and for me. Both in the, in the gift that the Psalms are to us, people like us in places like this who suffer, but then to try and understand how some of what Jesus experienced, his use of Psalm 22, changes how we suffer, changes our perception of our life, our perspective of our suffering. So, See if we can do that. Firstly, then, we'll have a look at Psalm 22. It's page 554, if you've lost it, and we'll think through the eyes of King David. Thank you very much to Pat for reading it for us. One of the things I thought he helpfully brought out, I don't know if you've spotted this before in Psalm 22, is that maybe surprisingly, the psalm is not all dark. It's not all bad news. The narrative seems to alternate. The darkness dominates and then the darkness disappears. There's this, this new day, the hope of dawn, and then suddenly it's dusk and it's nighttime again. The darkness looms and there's more pain, confusion, desolation. So have a look at that with me. See some of the darkness, verse 1 and verse 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. Then skip down to verse 6. I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Mocking, pain, desolation, frustration, despair. Darkness. But then there are the yets as well. The mood changes. The sun briefly shines out from behind the clouds. Verse 3, yet, yet, Lord, you're enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. 
They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and weren't put to shame. Or again, skip down to verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you've been my God. Don't be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. There's trouble but glimpses of trust. Pain and yet glimpses of promise. Darkness and yet glimpses of dependence. Hardships yet glimpses of hope. You see what's going on? His, his experience of life, what King David was going through, does not match with the reality of what he knows of, of God. God's character, God's kindness, God's, God's record of years gone by. God, if you are like that, then, then why am I going through this? Why does my life look like this, Lord? Lord, if you are in charge, if you are good, if you are powerful, and I can look down the pages of history and see that filled out, see that lived out, why are things so hard for me, Lord? Lord, where are you? So maybe as we do, King David kind of flip-flops back and forth. This inner conversation going on. Lord, you are like this, but my life is like this, and that does not work. What are you doing? And really, in broad terms, the psalm continues in that vein. That there's, those hounding him are described as animals from sort of 12 to 21. They're like strong bulls and roaring lions and dogs and wild oxen and packs of villains persecuting God's king. Then you get these gory, graphic, gruesome images of, of what he's going through. Self-description, he's, he's poured out like water and yet his mouth is dry. He's, his bones are out of joint and they're on display for all to see. Clothes divided up amongst persecutors. His heart has turned to wax. His hands and his feet are pierced. But then as the psalm continues, something slightly strange happens. If it starts off and we're kind of alternating between valleys and mountains, you get about two-thirds of the way through, from about verse 22, and it feels like the valleys are beginning to be leveled off, and, and we just find ourselves going up the mountain. We are hopeful. We are praising God. And so in verse 22 to 26, it's, it's praise among the people. David, the leader, is leading his people in heartfelt worship for God, for his kindness. And that would be enough. But then it goes outside the temple. It's not just for his people. So have a look again at 27 to 31. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who can't keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Do you see, it's, it's praise to the ends of the earth even, to all the families of the nation, but more than that, it, it goes down the nations. Future generations hearing about God's rescue of his king. They will hear about it. They will hear about the Lord's righteousness. And do you know, it's about this point that people start to sort of scratch their heads because it all feels like a bit too much. It feels like David is sort of prone to some 
exaggeration. Maybe he's got the volume turned up a bit too much on what he's going through. Did he ever go through stuff that bad? Was life ever quite that dark for you, King David, really? Why would the ends of the earth be so joyful because you've been rescued from something? And it's almost as if the words he writes feel a, a couple of sizes too big for King David. It's as if David is writing, but he's writing more than he knows. And you see what this first Davidic king was going through would ultimately and finally and beautifully be fulfilled in the true king in the line of David. So whilst the psalm describes events that perhaps happens in David's life, they point ahead to fulfillment truly what will happen in the death of Jesus. One writer says this, this psalm was certainly written about others but it was supremely written about him. They they feel a couple of sizes too big for David, but they fit Jesus well. And so second point, second time through. Because they fit him so well, I think that is why this psalm is the single place where, where most frequently the New Testament will go to to try and help us understand the cross. Let me try and give you some evidence of that um, from the Gospels. Maybe, as Pat read it for us, you notice some of the parallels and the references and you have sort of radars twitching. You think, I've heard that before, but not from here. So firstly, and obviously, 22, Psalm 22 and verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's explicitly um, referenced. Matthew 27, verse 46, and Mark 15, verse 34, as Christine read for us. Go down a bit further to 22 and verse 7. All who see me mock me and hurl insults, shaking their heads. Again, it's the language I take it of Jesus on the way to the cross. Mocked, ridiculed, insulted. Again, Matthew 27 verse 39, Mark 15 verse 29 and Luke 23 verse 35. Or then verse 8 of Psalm 22. He, He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him since... Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Mercilessly mocking his trust in God, his delight of God. Again, Matthew 27, verse 43. I love that little phrase on the way past. His delight is in the Lord. It's not a simple sort of cerebral knowledge of God, but his opponents know that he delights in the Lord. Well, Psalm 22 and verse 15, my mouth is dried up. His thirst on the cross. We'll see in um, the next week or two. At John 19, 28. Or again, Psalm 22, verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They, his hands and his feet pierced. John 20 and verse 20. Or again, verse 18. His clothes being dispersed among the people in all the Gospels. John 19, verse 24. Matthew 27, verse 35. Mark 15, 24. And Luke 23, verse 34. But you see, here's the thing. The physical pain, the suffering of Jesus dying on the cross, the crucifixion was horrific. It was, it was so horrific that it was illegal for Roman citizens to be crucified. But to be slightly frank, others had been through it. We've heard in previous weeks of the other criminals crucified each side of Jesus. It was horrible. It was horrific. 
But Jesus wasn't the first and he won't be the last person to be crucified. Because you see, what was unique for Jesus wasn't the physical suffering, but the spiritual suffering. His separation from his father, the, the intimate relationship that had existed for all eternity, had in a sense been broken as he dies for our sin. The, the love and the unity within the persons of the Trinity, with the, within the God who is love, the consistency. Yet on the cross, the man Jesus cries out in confusion, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew it was coming. The reality of the cross wasn't a surprise. In Gethsemane, he had sweated blood and tears. He, he knew that the cup of the Father's wrath had to be experienced. In a sense, it wasn't a surprise for Jesus, but, but it was still utterly dreadful. And so he begins in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, that the familiarity is still there. It's my God. The personal relationship, the trust even, is still there. But it's my God that Jesus says. It's the only time that will happen in Mark's gospel. There's a distance, a disorientation, a darkness. Gone are the titles of Father. Gone are the titles of Lord. Here is abandonment. As Jesus takes on flesh as he takes the full wrath of God upon himself for the sin of his people, as he drinks from the cup of God's justice, not for his own sin, but for our sin. This man was abandoned. He was punished. He was cut off. He was broken. And the gospel writers see Psalm 22 as a message for us, giving us a way in to what he went through. But you know that Psalm 22 is quoted elsewhere in the New Testament as well. I think this is really striking. It's picked up in Hebrews. So verse 22 is picked up in Hebrews. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. And what the writer to the Hebrews does is he seems to give us another commentary, another angle, another slant into what's going on. And he says this, and I love this. He says, Jesus sings. It's Hebrews 2 and verse 12 says this, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. You see, so in Psalm 22, it's because of God's rescue of King David that he, he calls on his people, he calls on brothers and sisters to praise God with him. Praise God with me for his rescue of me. And yet the writer to the Hebrews shows us the parallel and says, because of God's greater rescue of David, of Jesus, not from death, but through death, so he not only calls people to praise God, but he says, by this rescue we have formed a new family. By his rescue we are now brothers and sisters. The emphasis in Hebrews is not so much the call to praise, but it's the new people who are being called to praise, the brothers and sisters formed around the cross. As we thought last week, as 
Sally was teaching the children as well, Mary and John being given to each other. Because of the cross, there is a new family unit. There are brothers and sisters. And Jesus says, brothers and sisters, sing with me. Because God has rescued me through death. And so now you can call me brother, says Jesus. But what does this mean for you and me? What about life when it is painful and desolate and hard? When, when we read Psalm 22, and actually we find ourselves in the psalm, when these feel like the kind of words for us, maybe not even a couple of sizes too big. Athanasius, the early church father, said the psalms have a unique place in the Bible for us because most of scripture speaks to us, but the psalms speak for us. Here is God giving us words in the Psalms that we might express the reality of the brokenness of this world. You see, the Bible is a very honest book. It is very honest about the reality of suffering. It is very honest about the reality of hardship, about the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our lives. And there is something of a mystery ultimately to the heart of suffering, but God does give us the words to say in the midst of the suffering. When our words fail us. I know there are many in this room for whom the Psalms have been a very precious book at different times in life when when things have been hard. Helping helping us to verbalise something of what's going on. The pain and the anguish, but still the trust in God as well. The hardship yet the hope. So maybe you read Psalm 22 and it, and it resonates. You feel something of that hounding, that pain, that anguish, the abandonment, the disorientation perhaps. But can we take these words on our mouth? These, these phrases, these ideas on our lips? These words of Jesus from the cross? Are they words for us too? Have a listen to Um, the 19th century Bishop of Liverpool, a guy called J.C. Ryle, as he speaks about that very thing. He says, No doubt there was a sense in which our Lord's feeling of being forsaken was peculiar to himself, since he was suffering for our sins and not his own. But as it was with the great head of the church, so it may be in a modified sense with his members. They too, though chosen and beloved of the Father, may sometimes feel God's face turned away from them. They too, sometimes from illness of body, sometimes from peculiar affliction, sometimes from carelessness of walk, sometimes from God's sovereign will to draw them near to himself, may be constrained to cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see? He says, it's okay. Psalm 22 are words for us, sometimes through suffering, sometimes through sin, We feel as if the Lord's face has turned away from us. And as we follow in the footsteps of our master, as we know this world is not our home. So these are words for us. Maybe it's the power of words. As you read Psalm 22 and you sense something of the mocking, the the ability of people to be unkind. People who long to undermine your faith, hit you especially when you're down. People who love to mock your faith and confidence in the Lord, your delight in him. 
maybe even rarely at this point in the UK, but it's in action, it's violence, it's force. If it's not us, then it's brothers and sisters around the world for whom this is daily reality. And see, the danger is when our backs are against the wall and we feel in the dark and desolate place, I think maybe they're right. Maybe God's not there after all. Maybe I was just whistling in the dark, kidding myself, hoping. Maybe my life, maybe the one thing I I delight in has been based on a lie. And you see, it's all right for us to have these words on our lips, calling out from the depths and the darkness, from the midst of the mayhem. God, where are you? When it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, when he, he feels distant, when life feels painful, when it feels like he's forgotten, what's going on, Lord? Why have you forsaken us? But at that point, we remember that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. You see, I take it whilst there may be a very real sense of his absence due to, due to suffering, due to our sin, ongoing sin, God at times can feel distant and far off. I want to say at the same time, he is always with us. You see, we must get this because of Psalm 22, because Jesus died on the cross, because he took these words for himself, because Jesus was utterly forsaken, Well, we never will be. Because the Father turns his face away from him, as we sing, he will never turn his face away from us. Because Jesus, for a time, was abandoned, so we never will be abandoned. Because now we are his family. Now we are brothers and sisters. And that status, that identity, is permanent. It's forever. We are loved and we are cherished and we always will be. And of course, as children, sometimes we'll be disciplined. But children are always loved. And as he he dies and is raised again and he ascends to the Father's right hand and he's seated with the Father, so he sends his spirit with the Father, poured out upon his people, God with us, dwelling in us, among us means we have a security and a certainty when life is very dark. And so there's a very real palpable sense at times of God's distance, feeling like we're in the desert, that disorientation. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe, maybe you know something of that from Psalm 22. Maybe you've opened up and other people know that. Maybe your home group is aware of that. Maybe you just keep it private. Maybe you keep the pain in. You give the smile and say, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Maybe it's because of suffering in some sense. Maybe it's because of sin and rebellion and you're ashamed and you know God's, his displeasure, his discipline as one of his children. Maybe you just feel God is distant and you just don't know why. Friends, Psalm 22 is a psalm for people like you and people like me. If you need to confess, then confess before him. 
If you need to turn to him and cry out and express your pain to him, then do that. But please know that because Jesus was finally forsaken on the cross, so we will never be truly forsaken. In fact, he promises that, if you want to scribble this down, Hebrews 13 and verse 5, however dark life gets, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? As we finish, just notice one last thing with me as well. Notice the context of Psalm 22. Which psalm comes next? Psalm 23, clearly. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just even in the darkest times, even in the darkest valley, God is our shepherd. He's there with us, guiding, providing, protecting. And so as Psalm 22 ends from the top of the mountain. Let's praise him together as we sing together now. But first we'll pray. Our Father, we are astonished as we encounter a psalm like this, as we get a glimpse of something of what Jesus was going through as he dies for the sins of his people in their place. Lord, thank you that because he took our sin upon himself, because this man was forsaken, so his people never will be as he forms a new family, a new community. Lord, we particularly pray for any, perhaps for, for whom Psalm 22 feels very relevant at this point. Pray that they would know how to express something of what they're going through to you. Pray that you may give them people to journey with them and to encourage them and uphold them. But pray ultimately for that confidence. That confidence that comes from knowing of your love. That you are the shepherd who is always with his sheep. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.